in your mind, um, does that look like the original covenant? Well, we're going to spend the next five pages talking about the new covenant. Because to me, like, and just like when I'm processing this as you're talking, like to circumcise, that like almost feels like a lack of will in the process. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so, so basically, so God, God says, Deuteronomy 31, He says, Moses, I want you to write a song for them that'll be a testimony to them at the end of the age. After all these things have come upon them, it will be a testimony to them that I know what the intention of their heart is. And so the Song of Moses, we've quoted it several times tonight. And it's all the things that were going to happen because of their faithfulness, because of their unfaithfulness, rather. And so the, the testimony of the Scripture, so usually it goes like this, like in reform circles. They didn't keep the law because men are not capable of keeping the law. But the New Testament itself has five people who said they kept the law blamelessly. This is not the case. What happens is the testimony of, of God against them is not that they can't do it. It's that they don't want to do it. Right. This is the testimony against us. This is the testimony against humanity. God's not said, I'm just, you know, I'm going to make these laws. You can't possibly do them. But I, he says in the law, this is not too hard for you. It's not too hard. This is not too difficult. You can do it. What's the problem then? Deuteronomy 8. What's the problem? I led you this way so that you would acknowledge. I let you be hungry in the wilderness so that you would whine and moan. And you would sin against me and against Moses? Why did I do that? Because I want you to acknowledge it's not that you're not capable of obeying. It's that you don't want to obey me. I was, when you were, we were reading this, I was, uh, I was just drawn to Amos 3. It says, hear the, this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Yeah. It's... It's the same. It's not that they, 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 they changed it. It's that they chose. Yeah. And, and it's all in context to his choosing them. It's all in context to election. I like that phrase that of all the families over there, only you have I known. Yeah. But you, you failed to keep. That's right. He's the only one. They're the only one that he made a covenant with. That's crazy. So in the concept of being grafted in. Yeah. Like then we do fall under the covenant, right? Let's go ahead and just start here. <laughs> so, um, so let's start. A, all the covenants, all the all the prior covenants were always looking forward to another time. None of them were covenants like things are awesome right now. All the covenants were reaching forward, right? So Genesis seventeen, my covenants with you. I've made you the father of many nations. I will be God to you and your descendants after you. I, I have made you the father of many nations. This is the covenant. So this has obviously not happened. Right? Obviously. Jeremiah 32. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing them good. And I will inspire them to fear me so they will never turn away from me. So it's looking forward the whole time. Deuteronomy 28. 
If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord will set you on high above all the nations. The Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart you, so that you may love him with all your heart. So everything is reaching forward to another time. I will provide a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. So this is the covenant with David, reaching forward to another time. Okay, so we're just going to analyze. Real straightforward. I'll take questions. We're just going to analyze what the scripture says about the new covenant. Because you have, it's referenced in about arguably four or five passages in the Old Testament real real clearly and in other passages it's alluded to. And then it's there's there's three main sections in the New Testament that we'll get to. But point B is the New Covenant is only ever said, New Testament or Old, to be with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So that's like intense, right? But let's read it. Uh, Jeremiah 31 the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah right it won't be like the covenant so all the even the historical reference is only to Israel right it's only to them and the whole context is bringing them in from the final exile so likewise uh, Ezekiel 37 I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they've gone and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land and I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forever. So who's it with? Israel. So we'll, we'll uh, hopefully it'll answer all your questions but I, I just want to, we're just going to try to be real we're just going to read through all the texts about the New Covenant, just to hopefully have some clarity. But um, indeed, the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing evil, or only evil in my sight from their youth. For the sons of Israel have been only provoking me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather them out of all the lands to which I have driven them in my anger. And in my wrath and in great indignation, and I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. Uh, verse 40, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them. Okay, so... So this is, it's the, even in the New Testament, these are the only passages that it quotes in the New Testament. Hebrews only quotes these passages. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, not only is it, I know this is embarrassingly obvious, not only is it the epistle to the Hebrews, right? But it says, just like Jeremiah 32 or 31, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So, um, Point C, the oath of loyalty and the enactment of the covenant. It's after exile. This is a point I, I want to emphasize that this is the only context within which the covenant is ever talked about happening. 
in all of the writings of the scripture. It's after the, it's at the very end of the final exile. There's no other passage in the scriptures that talks about it happening in a random time. Okay, it's, it's the final exile. As soon as that's over and they're led back to Israel, there's a final ingathering and he makes a covenant with them then. So, so what you're saying is that then did not happen at the cross? The, the whole context of the cross, it, it, it didn't fit any of these historical things that it said would happen. So um, let's read. Uh, this, is a, this is a good quote. I like this. Um, like all ancient Near East covenants, the new covenant legally commences with the swearing of an oath. As a bilateral treaty, both of the named parties to the covenant, Yahweh, God, and Israel and Judah, mutually agree to the contract. In official covenant ceremony, the suzerain offers and pledges the terms of the covenant and its obligations, blessings, and penalties. And the vassal, in turn, responds to the suzerain's pledge by swearing to those terms. So Israel can't simply be just grafted into a covenant unless they've pledged allegiance to the terms of the covenant, right? This is historically exactly how it always happened. It happened at Sinai where Moses went up and he said, this is what God says. They go, okay, fine, we'll obey him. Okay, and then he gets the blood of the covenant and he sprinkles it on him. That's ratification. So that's why you'll, you'll start to recognize this language then Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent those sent to you, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why do they have to say it? Right? What if, what if Moses would have come down from the mountain and they had not received him? Right? So, so can I ask a question here? Yeah. So, so what you're saying here is that <laughs> the new covenant isn't a new covenant yet because Israel has not embraced yeah. the covenant. Yeah. But yeah, we call it a new covenant. Right. And we're going to go through the New Testament passages to make this more clear because there's basically three passages. The, the, the second one is really easy because it's just Paul saying, I'm a minister of the new covenant. I'm not a minister of the old covenant. But that doesn't, I mean, he's not viewing himself as the mediator. He's not like imparting the new covenant to people. You know, he's just saying that I'm, pre I'm preaching about the new covenant. And that's why he's talking against the Judaizers. So if we're not saved through the new covenant, the only means of salvation for us is grace through faith. Bingo. Which, is it ever said any other way? Wait, in the scriptures. Well, okay, let, let's continue through this. And I think maybe by the time we get to, I knew this is going to be an intense one. But I think maybe when we get to the, working through the New Testament passages, it, it will become more clear. So, um, the Lord will vindicate his people. He will have compassion on his servants when he sees their strength is gone. It's all awaiting this, right? Daniel 12, the power of the holy people shattered. So Hosea 2, so we just worked through part of that. So let's read this again. 
Therefore, I will allure her, and I will bring her into the wilderness, speak kindly to her there. Then I will give her her vineyards from there. The valley of Acre is a door of hope, and she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it will come about in that day that she will call me Ishi, and she will no longer call me Bali. Ishi means husband, Bali means master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day, I will make a covenant for them. I will abolish the bow, the sword, war from the land. I will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in loving kindness. It's after being brought into the wilderness and after she never falls into idolatry ever again. I will sow her for myself in the land and I will have compassion on her who, have not, who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. It's the, it's the oath. It's the bilateral pledging of allegiance. And likewise. And that can't mean us either because I mean, the church is, is engaged in all sorts of idolatry. Right, no doubt. I will bring you into the wilderness of the nations, and there face to face I will execute judgment with you. As I judged your ancestors in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will judge you, declares the sovereign Lord. I will take, I will take note of you as you pass under my rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. So the covenant happens every single time. The everlasting covenant. The one where it's new, it's called the New Covenant in a few passages, called the Everlasting Covenant in several passages, where he guarantees their heart is softened and they have a desire to obey him after that. Deuteronomy 30, we already read that passage. Uh, Zechariah 13. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet only one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire and I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. And they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say the Lord is our God. Why is that important? Over and over again in the prophetic scriptures. It's the affirmation. Uh, Ezekiel 34. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. As for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another. And between rams and goats, I will place over them one shepherd. My right judge between one, one sheep and another. It's the time in the wilderness when he causes them to pass under the rod. He cleanses the rebels from their midst. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them. And rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so then what you usually get in the, the idea of the inauguration of it is you get something that is completely doesn't exist in the, in the, uh, in the scriptures. And what, and what that is, is it's a, it's a division between the spiritual aspects 
and the natural, physical aspects, right? Does that sound familiar? Spiritual? Yeah. So you typically get that, right? So you get a division. That's how it's explained to be inaugurated. But there's no, there's no sort of hint of any, like, there's going to be... So this is the same old thing, right? Spiritual, physical. So we're going to divide them. The spiritual, we inaugurate because that's awesome and we get that now. And then the, the natural is just kind of awaiting something else. So let's read. <clears throat> but it, it doesn't explain in context to that division. What it explains is there's the covenant at Sinai and the new covenant. They each have benefits. And what's interesting is that the benefits from the new covenant aren't actually new benefits. What it explains is that the covenant at Sinai had partial meaning not universal to the whole nation, and temporal benefits. And the new covenant has universal, the whole redeemed nation, and everlasting. But same benefits. Right? So let's, let's read. Blessed, so this is under what covenant? Psalms 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. So the forgiveness of sins existed. Uh, Leviticus 5. The priests, okay, sorry, that was, okay, I think we should be live again, that went off, oh no, it was, it was live the whole time, okay, no, um, I think we're good, okay, so, sorry about that, so, thought we had an emergency, um, Leviticus, so offer a burnt offering in the prescribed way. It will make atonement for them for the sin they've committed and they will be forgiven. Exodus 36, you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your impurities and from all of your idols. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant it's the people of Israel, when I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The whole nation, the, all the people of Israel. Um, gathering back the exile. So that, that, it's not like that didn't happen under the first one, right? Uh, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord, their God, their God be with them. So there's a return from exile under the old covenant. But the new one says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries, bring you back into your own land. Jeremiah 32, I will gather you from all the lands where I banished you in my, in my furious anger and great wrath, and I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will never stop doing them good. So the difference between the benefits of the new covenant are not spiritual versus natural. They're temporal and partial versus eternal and universal. It happens to the whole nation. So verse three, this or point three, the spirit poured out. 
Ezekiel 31, see I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit. Filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills. Numbers 11. What's that? Exodus. Did I say Ezekiel? Sorry, Exodus 31. Then the Lord God came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took of the Spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. And so the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. So this is all when? Right? So the new covenant, and afterwards I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will pour my spirit out in those days. I will no longer hide my face, Ezekiel 39, from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, on all of the nation. That's after the end of the age. Yeah, Ezekiel 39. Just after God crushes Gog and Magog. And that's the way afterward I will put my spirit on. Right. Yeah. What's the need to prophesy in that age? Um, well, they, well, that's a whole other matter. We like what we call prophecy now is quite a bit different from what they were doing. So, like, it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot different. So, um, Torah written on their heart, right? First. Yes, sir. Um, if all if all this is meaning in the age to come and, and the new covenant ratified with, with Israel after the final exile, how do you reconcile that with how Peter said that that was this at Pentecost? That was this. Oh, um, so Peter assumes. So uh, Acts two, if you go there, Peter Peter quotes all these Day of the Lord passages. And uh, so he, he's assuming that the spirit being poured out, just like Solomon did when, this, the, when the fire came down from heaven, he's assuming that the day of the Lord's going to come. And that's what everybody interprets it as because everybody gets freaked out. And that's why there's the big harvest because they think the Lord's going to come back and crush them. And so that's where they go, what must we do? So you don't think that... That, uh, like the way we make our, uh, I mean, you know, that could be considered basic doctrine of the Pentecostal, whatever. Right. That's, that's a misunderstanding. So, I mean, so we just read the Spirit poured out. There's no, there's not a reason to view, I mean, just based on four or five passages we just read, there's more, that the Spirit was poured out for the first time at Pentecost. In Acts two, it's just not the case, yeah. and and it was always dramatic when it happened, and it was always very significant. But God put His Spirit on people, and it just happened. And I think most likely scenario is why He did it publicly in front of the nation is the only time in the Old Testament that I know of mm-hmm. when God poured His Spirit out on a group of men. It was to ordain them, and he did it in front of the whole assembly. It was to ordain them as elders in the assembly. And so he was basically giving them the Holy Spirit so they would be ordained in front of everyone as, as elders. So then the Torah written on the heart, same thing. 
um, temporal and partial versus universal and eternal. Uh, temporal, Psalm 37, the mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, their tongues speak what is just, the law of their God is in their hearts. Uh, listen to me, Isaiah 51, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. It's not like the heart wasn't ever written on the law, or the law was never written on the heart. Jeremiah 31, eternal and universal. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It won't be like that covenant, you know, you know, you know, yada, yada. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Uh, the knowledge of God, same thing. You had Moses face to face, speaks one as, as he speaks with his friend. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. These are the things that accompany the inauguration of the new covenant. Universal. The whole nation knows God, has the knowledge of God. Um, okay, so we're just going to conclude with uh, the um, New Testament witness of the of the uh, of the New Covenant. So the first one is really at the Lord's Supper. And uh, so we're in uh, Luke 22. Okay, so we're going to read the whole passage, right? Because it said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So let's read the whole passage. He begins by saying, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you again, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this cup, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of it until, the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. It's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So, when is the cup fulfilled? Right? When the kingdom of God comes. So then you get down to, in the same way he took the cup, and he said, This cup that is poured out for you is the covenant in my blood. When is it fulfilled? And the kingdom of God comes, right? Like surprisingly straightforward to work through that, right? Not too hard. Um, Hebrews 8. Now, Hebrews, Hebrews 8 and 9 are the, are the main passages. And so essentially they work like this. Um, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. So that's what we just went through. What are better promises? Universal and eternal, right? The new one has better promises. So this is why it's better. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But finding fault with the people, he said the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant. What did he find fault with? People. So the people were failing. And so he said, finding fault with the people, I'm going to make 
a new covenant with the house of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. It's better promises. All of them. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. Okay, that's the quote. And then he says, by calling this covenant new, he's making the old one obsolete. The, it, there's, you could translate that various ways. The Holman Christian says he's, you, if you designate one new, you obviously designate one old. And then he says, and what is old and outdated will soon disappear. Interesting that this is totally post-cross and he doesn't view it as having disappeared yet. And But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, we're talking still in context of the covenant, he entered through the greater, more perfect tabernacle as a mediator, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting. So he's the high priest of the good things to come. So in chapter 9 is referencing a lot Jesus' role as a mediator like Moses was a mediator. And what did Moses do as a mediator? He went up before God. He mediated before the people, right? And then he returned. And the people, he came down from the mountain. The people pledged their oath and the covenants enacted. So like in Exodus 19, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles wings now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession this and that, this and that and so Moses went up to God he does this and Moses went back and he summoned the elders of the people and he said it before them and the people responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. And Moses brought their answer back to God. This is the role of a mediator. And so Jesus is simply viewed as being the mediator of better things to come. Literally says better things that are to come, promises that are to come. And um, so these are all the main passages uh, essentially working through the new covenant. Not the, the the reason I think it's important to get this is a, um, I mean, the, it's 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 really it's really kind of a bummer if you if you listen to uh, Jewish arguments against. I mean, there's enough of offense in the cross to keep Jews angry, but that's that's literally like less than fifty percent of the argument. Most of the argument is <laughs> the new covenant. The new covenant is with us. Kingdom of God, that's ours. What are you talking about? They go, you guys can be your Christians and we can be Jews, but there's no interplay between the two because you guys are talking about something totally different. We know nothing of a spiritualized 
kingdom and of a spiritual inauguration of a covenant that doesn't include the nation of Israel. And likewise, history knows nothing of a covenant that just kind of gets inaugurated against the will of the people. You can't snap your fingers and make somebody be in covenant with you. So, the secondly, it's, it's important that we understand the role of being justified before God by faith, by grace through faith. Because nowhere ever, even though it's assumed and everybody talks about, nowhere does it say that anybody's sins are, are, are wiped away and that we're counted righteous before God because Jew or Gentile has the new covenant. Jew and Gentile are justified by their faith. So the sins as far as the east and from the west, is, what is that? It's in context to the new covenant. It's the total, it's, it's basically, it's a Hebrewism for you won't sin anymore. Okay. But in, this, in the sense of like grace through faith, I mean, he, it's not like he, would you say he doesn't see the sin at that point? Like, like because like, it's attributed as righteousness at that point. So but you're, your, your, um, uh, I, I don't find the see as sin type of language really in the Bible. I think that's kind of way, if it's, it's fine if we need to understand it that way. I don't think it's harmful. I think it just, I think it mainly speaks of a time when we will be justified by our faith when we stand before God and he counts us as righteous or not. And in the meantime, in the meantime, Gentile, Jew, we put our faith in the cross and God says, well done. And he gives us a sign of the covenant to come of the Holy Spirit. It says, well done, keep going. It's really grace of faith um, and maintaining a heart of like repentance. Yeah, keeping just diligence before God. And, and it's not flawless perfection, just like it wasn't in the Torah and the Old Testament. Their old covenant. It was, it was that God is merciful, and so God made a way for there to be atonement. Now, there's the issue of God removed any other way to make atonement for the Jew. That's another issue. So, because the temple has been destroyed, that's all gone. There's no way, according right. to the law, to be. So, in seventy, just before seventy A.D., one of their rabbis um, faked his death. He was a. He was a. He was a. Um, a Pharisee faked his death and had his disciples tell the folks that were surrounding the Roman soldiers that they were going to carry him outside of the city to bury him because it was according to their custom. So they led him through and according to history, he, they took him to the tent of the Roman commander and he got up out of the, you know, out of the cot and said, listen, it was told to us in our Torah that you would be coming. This is because of our sin, and God's going to give this, this city over to you. He said, but I ask you that you would grant that we would move over here quietly and start a school. And basically, you know, so we can continue to teach what we, what we believe. And so this was the way that rabbinic Judaism is essentially Pharisee Judaism became synonymous with Judaism, because every other group died out in the siege of Jerusalem. And so they, um, 
and so they they're the ones responsible for basically putting the 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 writings from it was earlier writings mostly but the writings of the Tanaim the group that kind of preceded the coming of Jesus kind of ended right when Jesus was born and the Tanaim they basically wrote basically the the arguments and the discussion of the Tanaim basically formed the mission in the Talmud and the mission in the Talmud are basically um not, this is oversimplifying it, but one of the main things the oral law is, it's how we can be forgiven without an atonement. And so this is what they're really big on, is that, oh yeah, God totally made a way for us to be forgiven. We don't need atonement. That wasn't that important. Is This is what Pharisee, Pharisaic Judaism is about, is that atonement wasn't that important. And it became synonymous with Jewish belief because this is the only group that survived. And so their, their school of thought became every Jew's school of thought, if you're going to be considered a righteous Jew. And so that's the real issue is righteousness without an atonement. God, even in the Torah, didn't ordain one. It talks about repentance in, in the Torah Teshuva is what they call it. It talks about Teshuva in the Torah, but it never, outside of the context of someone, it's, it was assumed that someone who had repentance would go to the temple to bring the sacrifice for atonement to be made. God's merciful, so he makes a way for sin to be forgiven, but it had to be done through atonement. So the atonement's no small thing at all. It's a giant thing. But... The covenants, they, they it, it, I mean, this is, I realize this is kind of like, I'm looking at everybody's faces, but, but, but th this is something that belongs to them. It's something that's theirs. And, and God really is being merciful to a people that he did not have a covenant with because he hardened them so that he could make them angry by showing mercy to Gentiles because they wouldn't do it. They weren't walking in their calling. He had Paul in a, in a small remnant because he always did. Paul was being a light to the Gentiles, right? He was proclaiming the justification that's available to Jew and Gentile by faith in the cross and the substitution. But many didn't want to do it. And so... Um, we're awaiting a final exile and a final regathering and an everlasting covenant, which is going to bring everlasting blessing to all the families of the earth, including ours. Yes, sir. So, does the cross, is the cross only for this time? Or does the, the sacrifice of the cross reach into the new covenant? Or are two separate things? Or do we not know that? The sacrifice of the cross reach so like, into the like new covenant. The new covenant, how uh, God's going to remove their sins from them. Right. Is that because of the cross? Or is that... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like Moses sprinkling them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then in Exodus 24, that's, that's where the phrase is taken from. This is the blood of the covenant. That's what Jesus says, is that when they say, we will do everything that God has said, he says, okay, very well. And he sprinkles them with the blood of the covenant. And they go, okay, we're, you know, that's, that's the deal. And so the blood of this covenant had to be, this is the argument in Hebrews, 
It had to be better than bulls and goats because look what that blood accomplished. It couldn't accomplish what the new covenant promised. It couldn't accomplish a circumcised heart. Please don't tell me that all Jews' hearts are circumcised now. You know, he said, so it had to be this kind of an atonement. Had to be a superior sacrifice to bring everlasting promises. Because he said, even the priests of the Old Testament had to be a superior priest because those priests would die. So you had to keep having different ones. It had to be one that could mediate the covenant forever so that his priesthood would endure forever. Because the benefits were forever. They weren't going to die off with people. So that's the whole once for all thing. Okay. So the once for all terminology is as opposed to the is opposed to the day of atonement, which was once a year. He said because if they and so in 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 Hebrews eight when it talks about the sacrificial system, he's not talking about it generally speaking. He's only if you read the what he talks about, he only references the day of atonement. That's the only sacrifice that he's referencing. And so he's saying that one was just. It could not do it. It could not accomplish what the new covenant is promised to accomplish. Well, because they're talking about building a third temple. <clears throat> right. And they're going to be doing sacrifices. Right. So that's obviously not going to make atonement for them. Right. Uh, yeah. Are you talking about doing that now? Yeah. Yeah. Which, Lord knows if that'll happen, but but I mean, whatever, that's another story. Yeah. But. Well, and I've heard it said, like, the sacrifices in the old... Whatever, mosaic that obviously it forgives their sins because that's what it says. Yeah, you know I've gotten a discussion with somebody about it. The whole Hebrew, I actually the new covenant this explanation actually brings it more into light. The the book Hebrews for me, I'm like, well, well, that makes more sense. Totally, because uh, sorry, the old covenant. I've heard it said like this that. The Jews stewarded God's presence on the earth, obviously, and so it helped. It was a way to them for them to steward God's presence because right. they would have sacrifice, blood shed for sin. Whereas the blood of Jesus uh, prepares you for the day of judgment, right. the day of atonement. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, that was a good way someone, someone put it. Yeah, that's true. No, but yeah, blood of Jesus throughout Hebrews is, is um, earlier earlier Jewish uh, followers of of Jesus actually used to used to think that the book of Hebrews was a big midrash or a big Jewish explanation of the uh, or meditation on the Day of Atonement. Well, my discussion with this person was, well, did the sins in the Old Covenant or the Sacrificial, did it really pay for, or did it really forgive people's sins? I was like, well, it said it did. Right. And so the whole thing is, that I pointed them to, is the issue with that is that it didn't clear their conscience. They didn't have the power to clear their conscience. Well, when I think of that, of the New Covenant, because it just brought, when I was thinking about it through this, I was like, oh, the New Covenant. Yeah. It couldn't cause them to walk in full obedience in the fear of the Lord. Right. That's where the weakness was. Yeah. Getting back to the, the thing about ripping the heart, too, that the other thing I have said is that what the sacrifice is, it satisfied, it satisfied God's wrath yeah. temporarily. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because sin... Because they kept sinning. The, the wages <laughs> of sin is death. Yeah. 
even if innocent blood was shed, they didn't know who did it. I mean, it's so weird. God said, measure out the closest town, whoever's closest, you have them come and sacrifice yeah. a spotless blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it's yeah. like, that is so crazy. Yeah. But I mean, it appeased God's wrath. Yeah. Because when innocent blood shed, yeah. he's going to pour out his wrath. Yes, ma'am. So, I'm still, like, tripping a little bit on the yeah. issue of, like, when Gentiles are, quote-unquote, grafted in. No, I was just going to be that. Too. So, like... Yeah, so, so we, we've over... We've... We've um, laid over that passage, Romans 11. We've laid over that, grafted into the covenant. So how do you work through it if it doesn't mean grafted into the covenant? Well, so first of all, I would, I would say that, the, the, that it, it seems pretty clear that it's not happened yet. Because everything that was promised to Israel in the new covenant hasn't happened. So for starters, I would start there. So that's, that's, a, that's really a tough one. Um, because none of the things that it says to them have happened. And, and secondly, um, I, I mean, I don't think the grafting in language, uh, I mean, there's nowhere else in, in the scripture that grafting in would necessarily imply that a root means a covenant. Um, I, would, I would suggest it probably, it probably means the promises because um, uh, Gentiles lived in the old covenant and they joined themselves to the house of Israel. God did not have a covenant with them. But when God prospered the land, they got to enjoy it. And when God protected them from enemies, they got to enjoy it. Because they joined themselves to the people that were in covenant with God. So it does, it's not to say that God doesn't have anything for the Gentile families. God, absolutely, it's for the blessing of the nations of the earth. Absolutely for the blessing of the nations of the earth. Yeah. So like, let's say then that like we're not grafted in yet until after or whatever. Yeah. Like then I don't I don't have a problem saying we're grafted in now. We're grafted in by faith. We are we're gonna be partakers of the promise. So it doesn't alter our access in relationship to the Lord. It's just yeah. an issue of the covenants made with mm-hmm. Abraham. Yeah. Exactly. No, not at all. We didn't, we didn't, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a covenantal issue to begin with. It was a, it was a God is merciful. And, um, so. Paul also says we have the spirit of adoption whereby we. I was just about to bring that up. In the same way that when you're adopted, you're not really part of the seed. But you can enjoy. Right. The benefits of being a son. Right. Right. Ephesians says you've been brought into the commonwealth. Yeah. With Israel or others. Then, or like maybe the difference between being a natural-born citizen and a naturalized citizen, or something like that. Oh no, no doubt. It's like it's not. It's not all that hard. It's just. It's just a. In fact, it's it's much more appropriate to talk about it in 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 sociological terms than it is in religious terms. So, by by that I mean it's not. Paul's not being. He's not just being creative when he brings up that you've been joined to the commonwealth because because gentiles being included is is basically an idea of them being allowed access to holy city after 
it's rebuilt. And there's many passages that talk about, whereas in, in the, uh, under the last covenant, there's rabbinic debate. But it's debated that um, usually assumed that Gentiles could not bring their own sacrifice. Even though God would forgive their sin, it had to be offered by Jew. Because God said many times in Leviticus, he said the, 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 um, the alien as well as the native, if you bring a spotless animal, you do this and your sins will be pardoned. But, the, the Jew, but it was assumed that the Gentile couldn't do that. And so the, um, but Isaiah 56 says that their, their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. And uh, actually, we're going to talk a lot about um, we're going to talk a lot about this next week um, because so my 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 goal, hopefully up until now through session three, is to get us all up to speed on where everybody's at when the New Testament happens. Okay, so it's normal that there's still a little bit of tension. So next week we're going to talk about right. Uh, we're going to talk about repentance and faith. And so this is the whole tension of, of the New Testament is, dang, what does this mean then? What's happening? What's not happening? And why is the Holy Spirit falling on Gentiles? And so we're going to kind of navigate through that because they have this framework. They assume New Covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's going to happen. It's going to be an everlasting covenant. And he's going to circumcise our hearts and all of us will know God. We'll never turn away because he's going to give us a heart to fear him, not a heart as we have it today. And um, so this is understood. Gentiles repenting and by faith alone receiving the Holy Spirit. That's what catches everybody off guard. That's what freaks everybody out. So Acts 10 is like intense. And so we're going to do Acts 10, Acts 15, and Galatians and Romans and all that next week, talking about repentance and faith. So, amen, let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll end. Well, Father, God, we thank you, and uh, we need your help, Lord. We ask you that you would give us grace, that you would strengthen us and our inner man, Lord, that you would according to the kindness that you're showing to us Gentiles, that you would strengthen us, you would have mercy on us. God, we ask you, give us a spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, that we would know what is the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of your inheritance on that holy people. God us uh, and teach us properly where where we fit God as Gentiles and how we can honor you and walk out our calling in this age in a way that's really honoring to you. Thank you, God. We love you. God, we ask you strengthen us all the more. God, strengthen us all the more. Amen.